This episode of Back Talk is brought to you by longtime bitch media sponsor Glad Rags, bringing you all of the essentials for a safe, sustainable period. Learn more about cloth pads and menstrual cups, plus get free shipping within the USA on your first order when you sign up for their newsletter at gladrags.com. Make sure to tell them that Backtalk sent you. Hi, welcome to Back Talk. Back Talk Talk. Talk Back. I'm Amy Lamb, the associate editor. And uh, normally this is a space where we talk about what we're doing in our positions, but I actually have a confession to make. And um, my confession is we've been, I've been doing this podcast with you, Sarah, for like more than a year now. And uh, I still get nervous every time I do this, do this podcast. And so I feel like if I confess my anxiety, maybe it can it can go away like it's a ghost that I can let go what's your anxiety about I don't know uh just about like not saying the right things or because it's like being recorded and there, there are some things about my own speech pattern that bug me <laughs> I'm just like wonder if they bug other people so it's all of that so I'm just putting it in a ball and throwing it away so, so this week as the associate of media, you're feeling anxious yes <laughs> um I get that I get that yeah um I'm Sarah Merck. I'm the online editor at Bitch, and I get nervous every time I publish an article <laughs> or make a podcast. Yeah. You'd think, um, or read anything in public. I would think I'm a professional writer. I do this. I've been doing this for like 10 years, and you would think that it would get easier with time and the anxiety would disappear, but it does get easier, but only because my coping skills have improved. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still get anxious about putting personal work out into the world. I still want everything that I publish to be really good. And as soon as I publish something, I'm second guessing myself. And I'm like, did I mean that? Is that good? Did I say that? Um, and so... This is, I think a lot of writers feel that way. A lot yeah. of writers and editors feel I that way. I think especially when you're speaking, because mm-hmm. sometimes I'll say a sentence and immediately I'll, I'll regret having just said that. And I want to <laughs> push those words back into my mouth. So hopefully I can. The theme of today's <laughs> episode of Back Talk is regret and anxiety. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Okay. So at the beginning of the show, uh, we each talk about some, a piece of pop culture that we're really into. Uh, so I want to talk about how much I love this opening track to the new Kanye record, The Life of Pablo. Um, so Kanye is like kind of a, a divisive figure and... Kind of. Just like <laughs> a little bit divisive. But this song is so gorgeous and like it's just e- equal parts of everything good. And I'm not a very religious person, but, you know, it's a gospel song. It's about faith. It's about um, believing in something more than you and sort of like trusting the universe in a way. And it's so gorgeous. And I... I am, I am not joking when I say that. I literally listen to the song on repeat at least like a dozen times a day. <laughs> <laughs> and and sometimes like there's just like a line or like some part of it and I'll just like tear up and just start to cry a little bit. It's so good. It's so beautiful. You're obsessed. Yeah, I am really. And I, I get this way about certain tracks. Like a few years ago, it was um, a track by Songs Ohio, Captain Badass. And that, that song, I, I like, I wore out my CD on it when I used to play it. It's such a beautiful song. So... Check it out, even if you're not a big Kanye fan. <laughs> All right. My favorite piece of pop culture this week is I've been following a lot of excellent new artists on Instagram. Um, we had this whole piece in the last issue of Bitch about Latina artists on Instagram, and I followed all of them. And um, 
Recently, I followed this photographer named Arvida Bystrom, A-R-V-I-D-A-B-Y-S-T-R-O-M. Um, she's like a, a young photographer who takes photos of women, usually in like pastel tones. And like they're sexy and they have their bodies and there's like pink and it's very feminine. I don't know how to describe this photographer, but I love her work. And it really connects with me. Every time I see one of her photos when I'm scrolling by, I'm like, wow. What an interesting piece of art. So I think she's my favorite, she's my favorite piece of pop culture this week. The artist Arvita Bystrom, who's uh, on Instagram. You can follow her. That's such a great idea to go back um, and follow all of the artists that were mentioned in that piece in mm-hmm. the magazine. I should do that because all I really follow are um, the basketball players from the Portland Trail <laughs> Blazers. So. Yeah, the, piece about, um, the piece about Latina activists and artists on Twitter was called No Filter. And if you just look up No Filter Bitch Magazine, you'll definitely find it. Um, and you can follow all those people too. So this week, the big political news has been that a lot of states uh, voted in the Republican Democratic primaries this week. And uh, Donald Trump still kicking (laughs) against despite our greatest hopes donald trump has been sweeping the country and picking up delegates and he looks like he is actually going to become the republican nominee which like six months ago people were like that's never gonna happen he's just a flash in the pan and now it's looking like donald trump might actually be the Republican nominee for president. And uh, this week, there was a sort of a viral ad that was released online um, that was women reading aloud things that Donald Trump said about women. If you haven't seen the video, here's a clip. A person who is very flat-chested is very hard to be a 10. I'd look her right in that fat, ugly face of hers. Look at that face. Would anyone vote for that? She had the height. She had the beauty. She was crazy. But these are minor details. I like kids. I mean, I won't do anything to take care of them. I'll supply funds and she'll take care of the kids. You know, it really doesn't matter what they write, as long as you've got a young and beautiful piece of This video has been getting a lot of play from from progressives and from people who don't like Donald Trump sharing it and saying like, oh my God, look at this, he's so sexist. What's important to keep in mind is that this video was made by a Republican pack. <laughs> this, um, this this video this that says at the end of the litany of insults that the women read about, you know, that Trump said about women, there's a line, if you believe America deserves better, vote against Trump. And but it's but it's put together by a Republican pack. The uh, the political action committee is called Our Principles Pack. It was founded by Republican strategist Katie Packer Gage. Um, and in February the pack released a memo about how uh, they need to stop Donald Trump from hijacking the Republican Party as Republicans. And part of that is because Repub- some like like mainstream establishment Republicans are terrified about Donald Trump getting the nomination because he says so many outlandish slash hateful things. They're terrified about him getting the nomination because they know that Donald Trump would be an excellent get out the vote effort against the Republicans. Like Donald Trump um, is a really strong motivating factor for women, for people of color, for other people that he has alienated over the years to get out and vote against him. And so Republicans are funding their own anti-Trump campaign to hope that he won't get the nomination because him getting the nomination would probably be pretty good for Democrats, even though it would mean we'd all have to do endure six more months of Donald Trump <laughs> headlines, which uh, seems like we're, I, I can't take it anymore. Yeah, I mean, his um, his inflammatoriness and his hatefulness really mobilizes people who may have sort of like sat this out or been 
um, f- have felt like, oh, uh, then I'm moaning between two evils, if, if whoever the Democratic nominee would be and the Republic nominee. And so there's this feeling now that's like, no, th- there is a legitimate serious evil on the other side, and I, and I need to step up and go vote for um, the other candidate. And so that's really interesting. But, you know, when I first read about this commercial and I had and I had read that it was part of it was from a Republican pack um, in this strange way in my brain. I thought it was a way to promote Trump through misogyny. <laughs> like <laughs> like if, if you love misogyny, you love Donald right, Trump. I, I didn't connect that like. Because I know that there there are a lot of uh, moderate Republicans who are not into Trump at all and are actually like horrified that he's gotten so far. Um, but my first uh, like initiative reaction was to think that oh this is um, the Republicans like doubling down and saying like no we really hate women like get get, get this you know <laughs> hot off the presses. And so and then I was like oh no actually it's like moderate Republicans being anti-Trump. But it wouldn't have surprised me if it was. Well, that's that's what I think is is interesting about this is that Donald Trump is actually not that much is not different than the other than the other parts of the Republican Party. He is just more vocal about his bigotry and his his hatefulness becomes these uh, very like media friendly sound bites that people like to pick up. But the ideas that he's pushing are the same ideas that a lot of Republicans are pushing. So these moderate Republicans or these mainstream, you know, establishment Republicans want to say, oh, no, 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 we're not like Donald Trump. But like if you're pushing for uh, mass deportations, if you're pushing for abortion to become illegal and to roll back reproductive rights across the country, if you're pushing uh, to build a wall with Mexico, if you're saying that uh, that Syrian refugees shouldn't be allowed in the United States unless they're Christian, you are in line with Donald Trump. And those are all establishment GOP ideas. You know, like the whole party is uh, is pushing policies that are classist and racist and sexist. Donald Trump uh, just articulates that in a particularly <laughs> uh, vitriolic way that grabs people's attention and makes them say, what? You know, I mean, like, for example, it's like there's been a, it's been really hard to get people riled up about the like anti-reproductive rights laws that have been passed in almost every state, the uh, the the trap laws that are rolling, that are chipping away at abortion rights around the country, um, and people these have been passing around the country, and it's really hard to organize against them because they're kind of like a wonky issue. You know, it comes down to like legislating the width of hallways in hospitals and legislating you know how many clinic appointments you have to go to before you get an abortion. That's stuff that's like hard to get rhetoric behind. But then Donald Trump will come out and say, like, you know, women are sluts. And and everyone is like, Err. like p- people pay attention to that in a way that they don't pay attention to the like the wonkier, um, more like legislative sexism and racism of the Republican Party. So it's not like voting against Trump and for another Republican is like good for women or poor people or people of color. I think having Donald Trump be the nominee for the Republican Party is good for America in the long run mm. because he probably won't get into office, but is bad for my mental health in the short run mm-hmm. because we'll have to endure six more months of Donald Trump speaking in media. Well, I mean, I I actually, you know, the, the this commercial from the Republican PAC kind of maybe portends like greater things that might come from moderate Republicans. So let's see what other, you know, big guns they might draw out to knock him down um maybe they have some like real dirt on him that we might see soon i feel like the dirt is already (laughs) you know we already know that he has tiny hands (laughs) 
<laughs> and that, you know, and various other, you know, he's done a lot more stuff than of tiny hands. <laughs> I'm just saying that in case he's listening, I want him to get angry. <laughs> the next topic we're talking about are the James Beard Foundation Awards. Dun, mm-hmm. dun, dun, dun. So this week we just published an amazing piece by uh, our writer Soleil Ho. The piece is called The Restaurant Industry is Very Diverse, but it's white chefs who win the most most of the awards. Um, this examines the uh, James Beard Awards. Uh, so this is an award that's given to recognize like excellence in restaurants, um, for chefs, um, in food writing even. It's kind of like the Oscars of the restaurant industry. Yeah, and, and just like the Oscars, <laughs> it's uh, very, very white. Um, in Soleil's piece, she talks about how... Um, so this week, uh, it was announced who the finalists were, but before that, there were the semifinalists. And within the semifinalists, uh, it was 257 men and 84 women. So that's only about 25% women, uh, which which doesn't make sense in a way because as a whole in the w- restaurant industry, women make up 54.5% of the industry. And then there's also the piece about um, race. And among the semifinalists, it was almost 80% white folks. Um, and compare that to the overall general field um, or like employment pool of folks in the restaurant industry. There's a lot of like Latinx folks, black folks and Asian people um, who aren't represented in terms of like who gets awarded or who even gets nominated. So this is this is sort of a, a niche conversation in a way. It's like, oh, who, who cares about who gets awards for restaurants? But it does matter, just like the way um, the Oscars matter, because it's about highlighting and celebrating um, whose who's work, whose food, whose restaurants. And it's not just about the accolades they receive, but they also, they make money off of those accolades. It's about, you know, capitalism and, and like uh, how all these things intersect, because when these restaurants, even just by getting nominated, they don't even have to win. They can say they're a James Beard nominated restaurant. Uh, it brings a lot of prestige to them. And then it brings customers and it brings uh, food writers who go in and hype their restaurants up more. And there's so many like um, layers of complexity to this, especially when you consider that. So there's a restaurant in Portland. I'm going to put them on blast. Pock Pock. It's a Thai restaurant and it's owned by Andy Richter. And he's also the head chef there. And his jam is that um, he spent a lot of time in Thailand. And so he came back and he, quote, like elevated uh, Thai cuisine. And he won a James Beard Award for it. And so there, there are like these layers of like, what does it mean? Like who gets celebrated for their food, right? Like, right. Like, like would a Thai chef running a Thai restaurant get the same level of recognition as this this is a white guy who's like, oh, I'm elevating Thai food. Right. So like, who asked you to elevate this food? And the thing about Pok Pok is that it's a really popular restaurant in town. And you go there, there's like up to two, three hour waits, like no kidding. Um, and so so there's like that also that play of like who gets recognition for what. And so Lay's piece really breaks it down because she offers all of the numbers. So you can see um, the disparity, especially between gender and in race. Um, I think another point about celebrating male, male chefs is that uh, for since forever, um, cooking like domestically is the domain of women, right? Like this notion that like women belong in the kitchen, but when it gets professionalized, it's the men who get celebrated. And so there's so many layers of um, of fucked upness <laughs> that reflect like popular culture or and um, and how we treat marginalized folks. That even though this award can seem really niche, it does say a lot about culture at large. Yeah, it says basically like it's another example of looking at who has power in this economy and who has power in this industry. So 
I mean, I don't really follow the James Beard Awards. I don't know any of these chefs. You know, I am not a foodie person who's following the news and knows who's who. But um, I like to go out to eat. And it's and anybody who's going out to restaurants and patronizing the restaurant industry should be thinking about the power dynamics in the kitchen. So who's working where and um, who has the power in that position? And what you see when we talked about that about 54 percent of uh, the restaurant industry is women but they're way less likely to be in those prestigious and powerful positions as head chefs, executive chefs of restaurants. They're much more likely to be working at lower levels. And why is that? A lot of it comes down to systemic discrimination and also economic discrimination, economic policies. Um, a big part of this article that I think is really great is um, it talks about the work of an advocacy group called Restaurant Opportunities Centers United um, that published a, a provocatively titled research study called Ending Jim Crow in America's Restaurants, Racial and Gender Occupational Segregation in the Restaurant Industry. The person who's the co-founder of the Restaurant Opportunities Centers United is named Sarud Jayaraman. And um, she has been on this campaign to end tipping. She wrote this really great book called Forked about how the economic structure of the restaurant industry really screws over women and people of color. And she wrote an op-ed in the New York Times this fall that's quoted in Soleil's piece that talks about how um, tipping is really bad for servers and that people um, are more likely to tip white male servers more than women and specifically women of color. So African-American female servers make on average 40% less than male servers. And a lot of that has to do with tipping. And also that tipping um, plays into sexual harassment that, um, as she points out in her op-ed in the New York Times, the restaurant industry is the single largest source of sexual harassment claims in the United States. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> you I'm can not see surprised. Why. Yeah. yeah, I'm not surprised, but I also hadn't thought about it that much before. You know, like sexual harassment is, is rampant in the restaurant industries, but it's the single largest source of sexual harassment claims in the United States, in part because servers, people back in the kitchen, people who aren't those highfalutin head chefs, top chefs who get to boss everybody around uh, have to serve the customers. And, uh, you know, if the customers want something, they're supposed to deliver it, you know, and if they aren't sweet, if they aren't nice, if they don't smile, they won't get tipped as much. And also, uh, I mean, in my limited exposure and working in kitchens or like I have friends who also work in kitchens, they have like a very like masculine patriarchal feel to them. Um, So then it's very like competitive. I mean, depending on the place, but Mm -hmm. there are so many places that are like that, especially these um, restaurants that are like super busy. It's kind of macho, like, let's get this done. We're super busy. We got to get we got to get this food out of here. And because it's like a. Even though there are a lot of women in the industry, um, within the kitchen space, there are a lot of men. And so it brings like this very like masculine thing where um, men sometimes get unchecked when they're sexually harassing women or each other or whatever the fuck's happening. Uh, so it's unsurprising that this that that report came out that this is an industry where sexual harassment is so rampant because nobody people probably don't feel like reporting it because it feels it might, it might feel um, innocuous. And you just want to get along and just, you know, do your job or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I was a dishwasher for a minute. And uh, I, it was the weirdest thing. There was a prep cook there. And, like, one day I was, like, stooped over. And, um, like, my pants, you know how, like, when you're stooped over, like, your pants kind of show like, your, <laughs> your butt crack or whatever. So he made, like, a rude remark about it. And then he, he asked, he legitimately asked me, like, in all seriousness. He was like, you know, um, I don't understand why I can't just, like, slap you in the ass if I wanted to. And I just looked at him like, it's against the law. Like, why would you even, why does that question even into your mind and that you think it's okay to verbalize it and say it to me? 
And the thing is, I didn't tell anybody about that because that wasn't in it wasn't an environment where I felt like I can tell like the head cook, hey, this guy said this to me. I was just a dishwasher. So there it, it doesn't foster an environment where it's like, hey, we need to have sexual harassment training and talk about what's happening in these spaces. Um, it just doesn't foster that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something that's not just your experience. What what we're looking at here is how that's a pattern across the whole industry. You know that people get away with sexual harassment and that behavior that um, is inappropriate and wouldn't be tolerated in any kind of like white collar office environment is just seen as par for the course in the restaurant industry. And that's what you see over and over and over again. And so, and part of that really depends on who has power in the kitchen and what what jobs those people are doing. So who is to set the cultural tone for that space? You know, is it women and people of color who, at the, who are at the top? Most likely not. Yeah, I mean, in this report that... Um that Sully writes about and the, with the semifinalists for the James Beard Award, it's mostly white men who get nominated and who win. Um, and that's really important because then they're the ones that get celebrated and then they're, they're the ones that have the power. So my takeaway from this piece is <laughs> to um, try your best to eat at restaurants owned and run by women or people of color. Uh, that's, that's been my jam and it's worked out for me. The food is delicious. And I feel like I'm supporting somebody who, um, has traditionally been overlooked or been pushed like to the margins and not making their money like they should. At the end of the show, we talk about, uh, one thing we've read, one thing we've watched and one thing we're listening to. So Sarah, what are you reading? Um, I went to the library's thrift store this weekend, which is like heaven sent. The library here in Portland has a store where they sell off like all the overstock or like really heavily used books for like a dollar each. It's amazing. I bought six books. (laughs) And the first one that I jumped into is is a novel called X. It's by the daughter of Malcolm X along with a co-writer. And it's a novel about the teenage years of Malcolm X. Mm. And so... It's kind of a historical fiction book looking at what um, they do know about his life as a teenage in his teenagers. Of course, he was assassinated when his daughter was um, very young. I think she was three years old. So she didn't really get to know her dad. So in writing this book, she like interviewed a bunch of family members about what he was like as a teen and um, is really imagining what it would have been like for him. Um, he grew up in Lansing, Michigan, and then moved to Boston and then moved up to Harlem and was not super in- was not like involved in political activism Um or, or the kind of advocacy became, when as an adult, he was sort of just trying to figure out his identity and grapple with this reality of being black in a super racist society and what that means. It came out in January 2015. I would definitely recommend checking it out. It's geared toward teenagers, but as an adult, <laughs> I really like it too. Um, it's called X, just the letter X. Rad. Sounds awesome. I want to talk about a show I'm watching. It is the fifth season of House of Cards. Oh, House of Cards. <laughs> House of Cards, undone. Uh, so a whole new season of political fuckery. Um, I really like this show because I think this might be a case where truth is stranger than fiction. So this show gives me a peep into probably the surface level of all the weird, wild stuff that actually happens behind the scenes in politics. It's probably, I imagine it's tenfold worth in real life. Um, and so, and I've watched, I'm up to like episode four and I'm trying to do this thing where I'm incentivizing myself to go to the community center gym. Uh, so I only watch it there on my little phone. Oh, so, so as you're working out, you get to watch House of Cards. Yes, that only. would stress me out so much. The show is already <laughs> stressful and then like you're running and yeah. you're like, who's gonna? The only thing is I have to make sure like there aren't any like really 
really sexy, salacious scene. So that if anybody's <laughs> walking by, my machine isn't seeing watching like softcore porn or something. But so far, uh, the season's been really great, and they're like really strong—not strong, but really complex female characters in this. And there, there's so many women in this that are just like you know not great people or or like borderline not great people <laughs> but it's just great to see women having complex three-dimensional roles and um and so far there have been some cameos um uh, cicely tyson was on and playing her daughter was a uh, lisa gay hamilton and i, I was like I, I recognize that woman what is she from i used to watch something with her on it and and i had to go on her imd i had to go on like the House of Cards, I mean, so a lot of deep investigation. And it, um, she used to be on the show called The Practice, which is about a bunch of lawyers doing lawyery things. Um, and then this season, Nev Campbell is starring in it. And she's also from an old 90s show, Party of Five. So it's been really great to see uh, these uh, female actors from back in the day who I didn't see working, who are like working again. I'm happy for them, get paid. Uh, so the show has been really rad. Great. Yeah. And what are we listening to? <laughs> uh, I want to talk about this track by Charlotte Ammons, who actually, Sarah, you wrote about her um, a release of a track, this track, actually. Yeah, she's a really cool yeah. musician, activist, awesome yes. person. Uh, so back in late last year, you wrote a piece about this track called Earth Intro uh, featuring Indigo Girls. It's really great. She's from North Carolina. And in this track, it's kind of like a mix of like indie rock and hip hop. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah, and Charlotte is like does a lot of feminist advocacy activism her work is really political um and she's one of those artists who you just like listening to because her music is wonderful and beautiful too yeah so this track is off of um an album that was just released this year called language barrier and it's called earth intro yes this track is called earth intro thanks so much for listening to back talk thank you Say we asking for it, should have seen it coming down It's metaphoric, if this water would you drink or drown You're like a forest on a mountainside, landslide, earthquake Heaven says, Jesus, take the steering wheel Cause shit is getting real, we need a navigator We need a compass, not a necessary mediator So fuck the definition, we need a sweeter religion We need a vision, longer time zone, the clock is ticking This episode of Back Talk is brought to you by longtime bitch media sponsor, Glad Rags, bringing you all of the essentials for a safe, sustainable period. Learn more about cloth pads and menstrual cups, plus get free shipping within the USA on your first order when you sign up for their newsletter at gladrags.com. Make sure to tell them that Back Talk sent you. Thanks for listening to Back Talk. This podcast is hosted by Sarah Merck and Amy Lamb from Bitch Media. The show is produced by Alex Ward. Bitch Media is a reader and listener supported feminist nonprofit. If you want to support the show and our work, please head over to bitchmedia.org and donate. She wants to know what I heard. She's a magnificent creature.